0: Well, most of us have some image of God that we tend to turn to as our default. An issue with this reality is that sometimes, though, we are tempted to make God very small, to make God something that we can hold and maybe even keep in our pocket uh, or sit on a shelf somewhere and pull this image of God out when we need it. And we do this, make God small for many reasons, Uh, which are not bad reasons. It's not a bad thing to have an image of God. Uh, But we make God small sometimes for comprehension because God is far too big for us to imagine. You know, we sometimes say, oh, I just can't even begin to fathom God, you know, a God who creates everything. How, how can I even begin in my humanness uh, to understand? So we, if we make God into something that we can grab a hold of. We, we give God human characteristics. Uh, you know, when we call God Father, sometimes we relate that to our Father, our human Father, and we connect things there. Sometimes that's an okay thing because maybe our fathers were godly people, But at other times, that image is problematic for people whose fathers were not there for them or who treated them poorly. So we have to be careful. Um, But we do it for comprehension. We also do it for control. Well, if God is small, then I can, you know, God is like a genie. You know, I ask God for what I want, and God gives it to me. That's the arrangement. So we, we we want control, we, want to, we don't want God really to call us to do too much or get us out of our comfort zone, so we make God small so we can have the control. And then another thing that sometimes we do to make God small is we allow our fear to dictate our image of God. We always see God as like this divine... Uh, You know, nun at Catholic school with a ruler about ready to smack you over the knuckles for every little mistake that you make. And then that gets in the way when we need God, when we need God to love us no matter what. I also think that our lack of consistent time for reflection on who God is over a lifetime can keep our vision of God bound up really tight. Um, You know, we're always busy and running from here to there. And, you know, if we have a second, we're on our phones checking out this or that. and, And we don't really spend a lot of time just pausing in silence or in even if it's in the car or it's not totally silent, uh but just to kind of let God um, inhabit your thinking and inhabit your being, and so the vastness of God becomes small, but our God is far. From limited or small. God has created everything in the universe. And yet God also knows the numbers of hairs on your head. You know that's easier uh, for God on some of our parts um, than others. But God knows this. He created everything. I always tell the confirmands this and confirmation when we're talking about God as creator. And, and I always tell them this is kind of gross. So I'll tell you guys this is kind of gross too. But when Emma, my daughter, was born and the, after she had come out and everything was fine, uh, the doctor said, hey, you want to see the, I don't know what it's called exactly. Some of you nurses could probably tell me. Like the umbilical sac or something. I don't know. Is that what it's called? Placenta Placenta sac? Whatever. Anyway, <laughs> basically... You know, this thing that's basically given my daughter uh, her food and everything that she needs to grow inside of my wife is right there, and it's kind of gross. It's kind of like got little veins and kind of bloody and kind of just all weird. That's the gross part, by the way. But it just, I mean, just to think that this thing has allowed this little person to come into being is amazing and and I mean <laughs> at that moment I was like how could you ever witness this and think that there isn't a god <laughs> God is expansive, far beyond our human ability to fully comprehend. And God's love for us is immeasurable and without end. So if we look to Jesus as our example, we will not dwell in our limited image of God alone. For Jesus, the key to his life and ministry was intimacy with God, who was at the center of all that he did and all that he said. Jesus did it. Did in practice, as Ignatius of Loyola instructs, take care always to keep before you, before your eyes, first, God. Take care always to keep before your eyes, first, God. Jesus chose to marinate, if you will, in the fullness of God, who is always greater than our conceptions of God, God loves without measure and without regret. And this amazing, all-knowing, all-consuming love is at the heart of God. And I understand that Jesus was God with us, Emmanuel. So his connection and ability to always stay connected was different than ours. So I get that. I understand. But the good news for us is that we can seek to expand our vision of God and our ability to love as Jesus loved through the power of the Holy Spirit. And that's exactly what Paul is praying about in verses 18 through 19 of our scripture reading from Ephesians that Bergen read. He says, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints, all those who have come before you who are here now and will come after you, What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses all knowledge so that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. This power Paul speaks of is the power of the Holy Spirit. And now before I lose some of you who are going, oh, here we go, getting all spiritual, let me demystify the Holy Spirit a little bit for you. This is not me trying to give you the whole enchilada, if you will, but this is me trying to make the Holy Spirit at least palpable so maybe you can take it somewhere. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And through the Holy Spirit, Christ's very Spirit living in each of us and animating the lives um, of us toward God's good purposes, this is what the Holy Spirit is. You know, we are often surprised by our human capacity for evil, like these recent events in Delphi. But we are also equally astounded by our capacity for good. We often find ourselves doing and saying things that seem far beyond our capacity. Those words and those actions are the ones that are guided and directed by the Holy Spirit. I always joke, no, it was not just something you ate. You know, maybe this is actually the Spirit of God working. Maybe that interaction that you had with that person by chance wasn't by chance after all. Maybe God is in the midst of all of that if we just pay a little bit more attention. And dwell with God. And it's amazing to see what God can do through you once you begin to rely on the Holy Spirit to guide you in how you spend your time and your money, how you make decisions for yourself and your family, and in what you say and what you do on a daily basis. And here is really the key. Um, This is really the key on a daily basis. Caring about the things that God cares about, the things that are in the heart of God, cannot be occasional, special occasion kind of things. It has to happen on a daily basis. You have to rededicate yourself each and every day to care about the things that God cares about because the world will give you all kinds of other things to care about. If we only connect with God occasionally or allow the Holy Spirit in and ask the Holy Spirit to guide us on special occasions, then we really never get into the flow of experiencing an intimacy with the heart of God where God's ways begin to also become our ways. At the center of the heart of God is love too little too often our little visions of god make us believe punishment is at the heart of god that judgment is at the heart of god you know it started off when we were kids and now even as adults nobody likes the idea of being punished for their mistakes we must remember that god is love and this is the business that god is in not punishment you know we all deserve to be punished If perfection is the standard. Because we all fall short sometimes. But God wants to love us. And that's why he sent his son into the world to save us. He took on all of our sins. All of the sins of the world. And then Jesus destroyed their power forever. Through Jesus we have been restored into a right relationship with God. And God no longer holds your sins against you. So why do you? It's risky, I know. You are used to your life as it is. Your actions and your reactions to things and people are quite comfortable to you. Forgiving yourself is hard. It is, I know. This sermon, like all sermons... I'm preaching to myself as I am as much as I am to you. We're in this together whether you like it or not. <laughs> but God is relentless in his love for all of his children including each one of you. You have nothing to fear from the God of love. We as humans do not seek to destroy the things that we create and love. So why do we fear the creator of all things, the heavens and the earth? And why do we think why do we fear that he would want to harm you? God is love. God Is love. 1 John 4.18 says. That there is no fear. In love. But perfect love. Casts out out fear. For fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not reached. Perfection in love. Don't allow your limited image of God. To cause you to miss, miss out on the joy. Of being loved beyond measure. At the heart of God is love. And when we bask in the glory of this love. Then we can do nothing else. But love others. We don't love to earn love. We love. Because we have been loved. And when we dwell. In the heart of God. We find our heart swells. To care about the things that God cares about. Like the poor and the oppressed. And the stranger among us. And And faith issues like peace and justice and mercy and forgiveness. I'd like to close with a story and then a little exercise. Don't worry, no treadmills or weights will be involved. Spiritual director Bill Kane took a break from his ministry to care for his father who was dying from cancer. Something I know some of you know a lot about. Bill and his father's roles had been reversed. Uh, Now his father was dependent on him for everything, just as Bill had been when he was a child. Every night, Bill would read to his father on the edge of his bed as his father stared up at him smiling. Uh, I'm sure some of you have sat on the edge of your child's bed or your grandchild's bed and you've read them stories, so you can relate to this uh, powerful experience. Well, one night after a particularly long day um, of caring for his father, Bill asked if it was okay if they skipped their nightly ritual just this one time. His father, of course, protested. And Bill said, okay, but here's the deal. Uh, you have to close your eyes and try to go to sleep. I've had this same bargain with my daughter on many occasions trying to get her to go to Oh my goodness, I don't want to read anymore. Let's go. Uh, so you get it. you know. This is the deal. all right, I'll read you a couple of pages, but then you've got to try to go to sleep. Well, his father quickly closes his eyes as Bill begins to read. And then a couple minutes later, the first eye pops open. So he's kind of giving him one of these, you know, looking up at him. Well, a couple minutes later, uh, well, at that point, then uh, he goes, Dad, come on, you know, because he's not doing what he said he would do, close his eyes and go along with this. So Dad's eyes shut again. Bill continued to read, but... Then ever so slowly, one eye popped open again. Then eventually the other eye popped open too. So the father could catch a glimpse of his son. This went on and on, and after his father's death, Bill knew that this evening ritual was really a story of a father who just couldn't take his eyes off his kid. So how much more do you think it is with our great God and his eyes on you? Say this with me. God is love and God loves me. God is love and God loves me.